Hello and welcome to Conversations on Karate. I'm Sue. I'm Greg. And we're back. We haven't done this for a while, Sue. We haven't. We haven't. We haven't had a guest for a while either. And we've got we've got a special guest today. Very. We have Mario McKenna with us. Famous martial artist, translator, historian, all of the above. Welcome, Mario. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So we normally set this off when we have guests. We'll ask you about your martial history, how you got started in martial arts, karate. Although most people we talk to never seem to start in karate, do they, Sue? They start in something else and then end up in karate. Very frequently, yeah. They normally go on quite a journey, which is probably why we have such interesting guests as they go on a, a martial arts journey. So... Tell us about yours, Mario. How did you come to martial arts? Um, okay, so I grew up in Canada in the province of Alberta in a town called Lethbridge. And in high school, uh, I got interested in martial arts <clears throat> because a friend had suggested that um, he wanted to take karate class and he didn't want to go alone. So he dragged me along and it was a Shotokan class taught by a RCMP. Royal Canadian Mounted Police member. And I started there. And to be honest, I didn't really like it. Um, and my friends soon quit on me. And um, the RCMP member, um, he was transferred because they're rotated every couple of years, right? <clears throat> so after that, the club kind of collapsed. Um, but I thought, well, I'll give it another chance. I'll, I'll keep trying. And then that club was trying to decide what they wanted to do. And then I didn't really like it there, but someone had suggested that there was another teacher I could go to, which was an Okinawan um, Gojudu teacher in town uh, named Kinjo Sensei. Um, <clears throat> so I ended up going to Kinjo Sensei's class and I really liked it. Uh, it was very different from the Shotokan that I was doing. Mm. Um, mind you, I didn't do it that long. I think I did Shotokan for all of six months, I think, tops. Um, and then I went to Kinjo Sensei's dojo and then I stayed with him until 19, so this was in 80, when did I start? 84, 85, somewhere in there. Um, and then I stayed with Kinjo Sensei until 92, um, when I went off to graduate school. So, and I took a, a little bit of a hiatus, um, when I was in graduate school, it was just, there was no time, so. Mm. So yeah, that was how I kind of got started in, in karate. So I had thought about judo, but I had missed the judo registration because I had friends in judo too. So I was like, well, okay. My friend asked me to do karate, so I'll give it karate a go. Mm. That's that's interesting you say about the, the you, you didn't like Shotokan, but you liked Gojiru. Can you, what, what, yeah. what, what was the, the difference? Because I've always noticed, I mean, we give Shotokan. <laughs> stick a lot of time even though we are shortcut practitioners we do like to mess with, with yeah. all. no there's nothing wrong with the style personally uh i think it's great i have a lot of shotokan friends and cross train with them but perhaps it was just the way the instructor structured the class because he was a police officer it was yeah. very very rigid and almost like like it was in the military <clears throat> so in contrast, when I went to Kinjo Sensei's dojo, there was a there was definitely discipline, but it was not imposed by the teacher. Yeah, sort of a relaxed discipline, and you were expected to work hard, but no one's going to be, you know, on you and and kind of giving you a hard time, like to mm. 
whatnot. So I, I think, you know, you're also at that age. I was like 14, 15, you know, you're kind of rebellious by nature as a teenager. And yeah. so you like people telling you what to do. So yeah. people screaming at me and get down in your kibidachi. And I, I just, it didn't appeal to me. Yeah. <clears throat> that seems to be the, um, the kind of narrative we've had from a lot of the, the guys we spoke to about, about Gojiru is, seems to be far more relaxed in the kind of class atmosphere than, than your typical Shotokan place. Yeah, so you definitely have to work hard, but no one's not, no one's going to force you. Yeah. Um, Yokanaon's kind of have, you know, I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, you know, if you come and you just work as little as you want, then that's fine. You're not going to get a whole lot of attention probably out of the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to say, well, he's, he's kind of just doing his thing and there's no reason to help him out with his technique, maybe a little bit here and there, but no. But if you want it and you work hard, the teacher will meet you halfway. Mm. Yeah, we have heard that a few times, especially, yeah. um, I can't remember, I think it may have been Chuck Merriman. It was, yeah. He it said was. something very, very clearly to us about training in Okinawa. He said mm -hmm. if you're going into, uh, Greg will have a better memory, I think, of this, but he, he yeah. said, you know, if you're in there and you're clearly trying to work on something hard and you're putting in that effort, the teacher will see that and and contribute to to what you're trying to do. But if you're not really trying, they'll also see that and they'll kind of just leave you alone. Yeah, and then that's also the role where, you know, your seniors and your juniors comes in. Like the seniors are also like, they're like, big brothers and sisters and they'll nurture you and help you along the way right they're looking out for you and that's the way it should be um, yeah so so that's how I got started and then I, I like I said I stuck it out I trained with Kinjo Sensei until about 92 and then I I went to uh, Saskatchewan the University of Saskatchewan uh, which is the province next door it's for about for two years for grad studies and yeah I thought Alberta was cold for winter. Oh, I had no idea moving to <laughs> Oh, just, oh, it's so naive to think that it would really? be not that bad. It was freezing, freezing cold. So. Yeah, see, we, and we, then what? We, what we don't know off? cold like that, do we? No, we don't know cold like that. We're very, very lucky in this Yeah, country. so at any rate, um, yeah. So I grew up in southern Alberta. Um, we would get pretty cold winters, but uh, we would get a Chinook wind, which is a warm wind from the Rocky Mountains, which would come in and, and melt the snow and give us a little bit of a break. So you could go from minus 20 and then it would jump up to like above zero, like five degrees Celsius or something. And you would get a little bit, maybe a week of that. And then another snow would come and it was a nice way to break up the winters. <clears throat> but when I moved to Saskatchewan and went to graduate school, at first snow, I remember, oh, okay, so it's not that much different from here. And then I went to some of my um, professors or students and said, hey, so when does the Chinook come? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I know, you know, the warm wind from the Rocky Mountains. And they're like, Rocky Mountains? You know, like, this is prairie. It's like, there's no, no such thing. And so when winter came, it came for like a solid five or six months of the year in Saskatchewan. And it, it got cold like colder, like I was surprised at how cold it was. I thought I was pretty hardy stock from Alberta, in a way. No. no. I mean, as soon as you said minus 20, I, there is, no, I, I don't know how we managed <laughs> with that. <laughs> you, you adapt, it's like anything, right? So, you know, uh, 
Yeah, and then it would drop to minus 30 sometimes, and then your car would close and frozen solid, and you know, sad, sad, very sad. See, we have like an inch of snow, and then the country stops. <laughs> it's like everyone when... shut down. You're not going to work today. Yeah, so yeah. you know, different world. It is. It is. So, We're not equipped. Yeah. So when I was in Saskatchewan, I I went to grad school. Um, I majored in physical education, primarily though in kind of sports psychology. Um, I didn't practice karate formally. I just kind of trained by myself. Um, things were just too busy trying to get your your work done, taking your courses and doing your thesis, right? So, mm. <clears throat> yeah. So I had a bit of a hiatus for about two years, 18, 18 months, two years roughly. Yeah. And did you stick with Gojiru the whole time since you've been back into it? Or have, I, guess, I guess you've moved around and done train with lots of different people. Oh, I, I am. I um, I think I'm following in the footsteps of all the old masters in the sense that I've had multiple teachers, probably like um, as an aside, that was the norm. Yeah. The kind of post-war modern notion of one teacher for a lifetime is exactly that. It's just postmodern. Mm. It's not the norm if you look at it historically. So, yeah, um, I studied with Kinjo Sensei. And then when I eventually moved to Japan in 94, um, I started doing Kubuto with Minoa Sensei. <clears throat> and then um, he convinced me to do a bit of Weichi because he was a Weichi instructor. Mm. Um, it was never a passion for me. But I did have a lot of respect for the style after doing it a little bit. But it's nothing I really... Um, dove in too deeply mm. but i did stick out the weapons uh, the kabuto to this day so i teach it along with with the karate um <clears throat> so and then afterwards um my big focus became toan toan Ju. um so toan Ju is the sister style of goju yeah that's a style that interests me because i, I might be completely wrong did does it have a g on it has a Gion kata, and it's very similar to if you looked at the Kyudokan version. I'm yeah. sure you've seen that on the YouTube. So it's yeah, yeah. probably uh, mechanics wise, it's quite different, but in terms of the pattern, it's about 90% the same. Okay. And the reason. Yeah, that's just interesting me because it's because, like you said, it's a similar style to Goju. It, it, it just seems random that it's in there. Uh, it does. To, but then when you kind of look at the founder, um, Kyoto Juhatsu, right? Mm. So when they think of like the con continuity of Nahate, it, it always goes, uh, generally most people think it goes to Miyagi Chojin, which is correct, right? <clears throat> he was the most prolific student of Higona Kanyo. Mm. But um, in contrast to him, Kyoda Juhatsu was also um, a student of Higona Kanjo. And technically, he was Miyagi's senior by a few months. He had actually joined the dojo before Miyagi. Um, but unlike Miyagi, he was not nearly as prolific. I um, mean, he kept a pretty low profile and only yeah. taught a handful of students on Okinawa. And then he eventually moved to the Japanese mainland around 1944. And even then, he just taught a handful of students so there's this very small group of them that keep it alive in um, uh, the mainland japan and no one that i know of that i've that i've never encountered anyone that that knew or knows the toan you in uh on okinawa 
But getting back to your question about Gion, yeah. <clears throat> so uh, the Gion that they do comes from uh, Yabu, Yabu Kensu. I'm sure you guys have heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, so he apparently um, was teaching at the teacher's college and then um, <clears throat> Kyoto was uh, attending the teacher's college back in the day and that's where he apparently picked it up from and he liked it so he included it in his his style that's interesting yeah, i've always wondered about that yeah so i just so he cross-trained kyoto you know his base style was what he learned from higo nakanyo but he also learned jian <clears throat> from uh like i said from yabu kentu and then he learned nepai from gokenki right the tea yeah. merchant yeah train guy who everybody knows of back in the day kind of an enigmatic character yeah um and then i strongly suspect that um kyoto probably knew because he was part of the education system and i'm sure miyagi did too they knew the pinan just for whatever reason they said no we're quote nahate so we don't really include those mm. <clears throat> although it, it begs the question then why didn't um uh kyoto include jian in his um, Toandio, which he, you know, he kind of was like, no, we're primarily a Nahate style. So he's not alive, so we can't ask him. We can only speculate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I did Toan uh, for a number of years and still do it. Um, I don't really teach it publicly. I just teach like a handful of students here in Vancouver that are kind of interested in it. Mm. It's a pretty small style. It's very minor in the grand scheme of things but it's kind of historically important so i, I pass it on to a few people but i, I generally don't really teach it publicly mm. um yeah and that brings us to like yeah that, that so i've had one so i've had kijo sensei i've had minowa sensei and then uh, once minowa sensei passed away i studied from his student yoshimura sensei and then I learned from Toan from Kanzaki Sensei, and then Kanzaki Sensei passed away. So then I learned from Ikeda Sensei. So yeah, three, four, five teachers. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so. And when did the uh, when did the the translating start? Oh, um, probably nine, like ninety nine. I'm thinking somewhere in there. Because I started accumulating karate books. Yeah. And I couldn't read them. <laughs> it's getting really frustrating. So yeah, like I'm sure you've other guests, like when you when you live in Japan, you you get there and I couldn't speak any Japanese at all. I could say hello, maybe, and how are you? And I'm hungry, kind of the basics. Mm. And then as you get better and better, um, your curiosity kind of gets deeper and then your teachers tell you about stuff and then you see all these old karate books and then you look at them and go I can't read any of this and then you go well I'm kind of curious so I'll sit down and try and figure out what these things are actually saying so yeah so I think somewhere around 99 is when I got really interested in kind of translating stuff mm. and Joe had been doing stuff like I had met Joe in 98 I think and he was already such a prolific guy, right? And his Japanese is so good. 
um, <clears throat> and he's like, I remember we we'd, we'd meet and he'd sit there, and like we'd have some books out, and he goes, "Oh no, look, it says it right here," and I'm like, "Well, I can't read that, Joe." <laughs> so you know, uh, kudos to Joe for kind of like you know upping the upping the um, the standard, the bar, right? Mm -hmm. So I got to keep up with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> it's good you two are doing it because, yeah. Um... Yeah, it's good for, for guys like us to read. I remember when, uh, before you released um, Karate Do Taikan, mm -hmm. there was, uh, I think it was Ian Abernethy, so that put, he, he put a translation of um, Itosu's 10 Precepts out. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh yeah, I, I paid loads of money for a Japanese copy of this book. <laughs> and uh, he says, it sucks, it's not in English. And then literally after that, you released your... <laughs> your translation and i was like i've got it <laughs> well to be fair um patrick mccarthy had actually translated them a couple of years before me okay and, yeah he did yeah but i don't think it was widely known but he, mm. he had done a bang up job um maybe two or three years before me <clears throat> so um that was helpful <laughs> you kind of double check your translation right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially because it's it's written in old style Japanese with uh, katakana and stuff like that. So um, it definitely helps, and it's it's a bit are definitely archaic in parts. Yeah, yeah, it's a good book. There's a lot of gems in there. It's a really good book, and it's a nice attempt at kind of what they were trying to do because they were trying to unify karate and kind of present it as a coherent, yeah, um, much like judo and kendo, right? Yeah. Um, hence, you have those 12 promotional kata in the background, which never caught on, unfortunately. No, that was one of the things when I first read it, I was like, I've never heard of this, these 12 kata. And there's a lot of attention paid to them in the book, but yeah, you don't see anything about them today. No, and they're really rudimentary, right? Like they're even yeah. just, they're, I have trouble even calling them kata. They're more like kind of moving kihon even. Yeah. Because right? um, they're just variations on a theme. And, um but i think because of the war uh, and then no one really <clears throat> everything kind of fell apart and then when they did kind of reassemble these organizations in the 60s and the 70s they kind of just pushed them to the side and then came up with new stuff like mm. like the fukyu kata right on okinawa mm. like that um you still like run into the odd dojo it's the exception, like it's a rarity where they do some of them, um, but generally, no, they're they're just kind of extinct. Yeah. But the book, it's it's really interesting. They kind of got most of the main teachers at at the time to try and kind of amalgamate karate into kind of a like uh, into kind of like I said, streamlining it. So they also had the weapons. They also had a little bit of the classical forms. Um, they give you a good outline of like the basics and how to practice the basics and then the intro forms. It's just sad that it didn't quite catch on. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the, my favorite things is the, um, the kind of the basic applications that, um, what's his Shiro. name? Shiroma. Yeah, Shiroma, yeah, mm -hmm. shows. Because they, we, we spoke about this last time, didn't we, Sue, that a lot of the times you look at the pictures and you go, well, that doesn't look very realistic. That doesn't yeah. look. But then when you read it, like a lot of the stuff they're talking about, he's talking about slipping and moving. He's talking about, you know, 
using your shin to block kicks to the leg, like things that you would teach today as, you know, good technique, but it's just kind of the, the pitches don't quite match the. Yeah, because you, you have no context, right? So you yeah. look at the picture and you're like, well, I can't read what he's saying. So I was in the same boat. I would like look at the picture and go, okay. And looking at you like, really, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get killed. But yeah. then when you kind of read what he's saying, you're going, oh, okay. I kind of get what you're saying now. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair of that generation pre-war, like they're, they tend to be cryptic uh, in their writing. So yeah. their job, and it's still to this day very much in a lot of Okinawan dojo is, like I said previously, the teacher will meet you halfway. And that into, that also means like teaching you and maybe in respect to applications. They're not going to spoon feed you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they might say, okay, I've got this, uh, I've got this tablecloth on the, on the kitchen table. I'm going to hold up one end and help you, but you got to lift up the other end. That's your job. If you don't want to lift up the other end, that's your business. But I'm going to lift up my end and then you're going to meet me halfway. So in the writings pre-war, they tend to be, like I said, um, they don't come out a lot of times and explain it um, as clearly as they could, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you see that a lot. Sure. Yeah. So let's talk about the new book. Well, the, well, I say new book, the new translation of an old book. <laughs> Can I tell you something, Mario? Sure. I, I have a confession to make, actually. I have never bought a karate book. Yours, <laughs> okay. yours is my first. Oh, thank you very much for that. Right here. I'm very happy with it. Um, and I've been I've been going through it. It's, it's, there's some fascinating stuff in it. So. But um, so how did you, you know, how did you come to choose uh, to choose this one and do this book? Um, so probably like yourselves, um, you were caught up in COVID in 2019. Yeah, very much so. Shut down um, and probably <clears throat> similar to yourselves, um, your practice disappeared. Yeah. Like interacting with people in groups, um, even going to the gym, even going out for a walk sometimes could be tough depending on where you were in the world at that time. <clears throat> so with all that extra free time on my hands, um, I initially restarted my blog because I had shut down uh, down a few years ago. And the blog is just mostly for just me to express my own thoughts about karate. But then I started thinking, um, you know, is there other stuff I could do? And then I was looking on my bookshelf and I saw, you know, an introduction to karate by Mabuni. And I wondered if anyone had ever translated it because the last time I looked at it was about 20 years ago. And then when I did a search, I, I did find a translation, but it was in Spanish and I don't read Spanish. So, okay, it's never been done in English. <clears throat> and then I pulled it off the shelf and I started skimming through it again. I went, yeah, this is a really good book. Like it, it deserves to be translated. So I remember I had avoided doing it a long time ago because in the 1990s when I still lived in Japan uh, Joe Swift and I had talked about splitting it up into different sections and he would do some parts and I would do other parts but we both were had really busy schedules so we just never really um, went anywhere unfortunately and then through the years um, people like Joe Swift and Mark Tankasich had done little sections and I had done little sections of it too 
Um, so then I decided, okay, well, I've got the time. I'll dust off my 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 skills, what limited skills I have, and we'll kind of just knuckle down and start doing it. So every day I tried to do a little bit during the pandemic. Um, yeah, I would just kind of just type away on my my laptop and just keep hacking at it. And then about know, 18 months later, <laughs> year and a half later, yeah. maybe a little less, I, I, I had done it. The good thing, though, was uh, Joe and Mark were exceptionally generous in giving me like the parts that they had translated. So I didn't have to retranslate anything. And then I realized that I had already done a few chapters here and there just for my own personal study. Yeah. So it wasn't quite as overwhelming as I thought it would be. Um, so, yeah, so then I just knuckled down and did it. Much to my wife's chagrin <laughs> with it. Because, uh, like, my wife's from, from Japan, so occasionally I would, like, I, I would, like, read sections and I'm going, okay, I think he's, I think he's saying, he's saying this, right? And it's just, I go, I'm so rusty at this. And then I was, like, I grabbed my wife and I go, could you read this paragraph for me? And I remember she reads it and she looks up at me and goes, who wrote this? This is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I go, what do you mean? She goes, it's like written by a junior high school student. Like this is like there's no punctuation. It's just a run on sentence for a paragraph. No wonder you can't understand it completely. <laughs> and to be fair, yes, you know, the different levels, different standards back then and punctuation was sort of newish in the 30s <laughs> in, in Japanese. So I don't think they knew how to use it properly or didn't use it at all. Wow. So, yeah, so, yeah, so it just, it was fun. I, I would just do a little bit every day and then it wasn't quite so overwhelming. Yeah. <clears throat> it's next on my list. I'm still getting through um, Joe's, Joe's book on Itosu. Oh, it's really, excellent. I've been really slow at reading it, um, but it's really good. Yeah, and so. in the back with all the old articles, it's just, it's, it's exceptional. So that yeah, then yours is is next on the list. Well, hopefully you know it won't bore you to death. <laughs> oh, definitely not. No, I love I love all I love all the old translations. I I think they're great. I just like so I just love even if you just get one or two little gems out of it. For me, it's worth it. I think it's yeah. So well, Booney's book and Nakasone like it's also have to say it's also as. Nakasone's book as much as it is Mabuni's book, right? So Nakasone Genwa, right? He wasn't really much of a karate practitioner. In fact, we can't even verify that he practiced karate. Mm. He was such an influential guy in the pre-war karate circles in trying to promote um, Okinawan culture and karate, um, not only on the Japanese mainland, but within, you know, on Okinawa itself. <clears throat> so he was, without him, um, a lot of these books would just simply not exist because he worked as a as a writer and a publisher. So, yeah. So yeah, you hear his name quite a bit. Yeah. So and it's re his life is really interesting. I like I mentioned it in the in the introduction that he was born. What was he born? 1898, I think. 1890, somewhere in there. I forget it off the top of my head. And he was born in Okinawa, but he was uh, he was a diehard uh, communist when he was in his 20s and 30s. Um, and when you think about it during the time, it kind of makes sense that 
probably why he was attracted to because Okinawa, even to this day, is the poorest prefecture in Japan. Mm. Right. So back in the day, um, Okinawa had been annexed by Japan, right? And it be kind of went from the old Ryukyu Kingdom to you know modern Okinawa Prefecture. <clears throat> but to mainland Japanese, it was considered this backwater island. Um, and the people were pretty impoverished. Um, and initially, the education levels weren't that great. And so the kind of notion of having kind of a, like a, a better sort of egalitarian society when you're dirt poor might have made sense to him at the time, right? So he was a pretty um, active communist on the Japanese mainland <clears throat> until he was arrested and put in prison for oh, several okay. years. And then when he came out, surprise, surprise, um, he wasn't much of a he wasn't active in the communist <laughs> movement anymore in Japan. And he kind of turned his focus to um, more kind of like Okinawan cultural studies and promoting Okinawan karate. And and um, I, want, I don't want to say nationalistic, but just, just generally kind of promoting Okinawa as a part of Japan and kind of its uniqueness, um, yeah. the Japanese prefectures. There's quite, a, there's quite a strong focus of the, on that in this book, isn't there? It's about sort of um, really outlining, you know, Okinawa is definitely part of Japan and there are various brothers across Japan. And yeah, is, is, that's just very strong in the beginning parts of this book, isn't it? It is. Um, so there's an entire like they don't even talk about karate in the first like maybe quarter of the book there. They're just trying to justify like Okinawa and Okinawans as a part of Japan. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, the language they choose is a very, very problematic, in my opinion, it, from a modern lens when you look at it, right? It's very jingoistic. Um, it could be considered racist uh, in some, con some uh, contexts. But when I was reading it and translating it, I didn't want to whitewash it. So I just kind of went, well, this is what they said. So this is how I'm going to translate it accordingly. So yeah. the problem which is, with that. Which is fair enough. Yeah, it's, yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to change what they said. No. Um, so, like, for example, like a simple Japanese word like jinshu, right? So jin is hito, means person. And shu is like from shu, it means like, um, a variety or kind of or something, right? So okay. <clears throat> typically that can be like, you should, in that context, it should be translated as race, right? Um, but in modern, uh, from a modern perspective, you might not say that, you might say it might be like a, like a people, right? Mm. As in a, like a group of, a cultural group of people. Yeah. I just decided to leave it as is. Um, the catch, though, is, is this how they actually thought, uh, which is quite shocking, in my opinion, or is this to appease the home ministry um, of Japan, which was run by the military back in the 30s, which any book that was published um, had to go through military censors before it could be published. Really? Yes. Well, any, any, not just a martial arts book, any book. Any wow. book. So any book that was published had to go through the home ministry and its censors, which was run by the military in the 1930s, before it could be, you know, yeah. 
on to print. So it's impossible to tease out what is actually their thoughts versus what the military, what they put in maybe to satisfy the military sense yeah. of time, right? So then you have this big emphasis on, you know, the Okinawans are a Japanese people. They are always part of the, uh, you know, uh, they were separated from the mainland, you know, their mainland Japanese brothers and sisters, et cetera, for thousands of years, but they're really the one and the same and all this yeah. other stuff. It's that's interesting that you say that because it didn't it didn't quite jive with the as as we move then into what is karate and how do you do it, I I definitely got the feeling not having read any of this kind of thing before that they are of a different character. So the first part felt like saying, okay, let's get this part out of the way and now we'll move on to karate. So, oh yeah, they're quoting yeah. those scientific studies from anthropological studies from the 30s to kind of you know modern science at the time yeah. to kind of justify things and it's really just a pandora's box um, it's interesting you're like wow okay you guys are going to a huge extent to prove that you are one and the same with your mainland brothers and sisters <clears throat> but that echoes the kind of the sentiment of karate at the time like when funukoshi was on mainland japan right yeah and they're trying to say oh no 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 this is a japanese art right it's not chinese hand it's empty hand right we're going to change the names, the traditional Okinawan names of the kata to more easily pronounceable Japanese names, um, which people can understand. And we're going to de-emphasize the um, throwing, locking and choking techniques and make it more kind of percussive, right? Because that that kind of an boxing art or kempo um, didn't really exist in Japan. So it's it sort of makes sense yeah yeah oh it does it that does it makes complete sense if 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 they had that kind of they had to go through the um the military censors in order to get something published you would just decide to do what you had to do and then go ahead and get your book published wouldn't you Makes you perfect sense to me <laughs> you know in the sense that they're trying to promote their art but at the same time i'm just so curious as like wow did you guys actually really believe this mm. right <clears throat> so you'll never know, but it's just it's just an interesting thought experiment yeah. because there's a lot of times as an aside um, that these founders and pre-war karate people and teachers are considered sort of like saints, right? They're canonized. Literally just going to say that, yeah. And, and they you kind of look at them and you go, hmm, <laughs> really? And they're just as fallible as the rest of them, you know, yeah. they can be as rude, angry, stupid, racist. As any other human being on the planet but anyway yeah yeah that's the thing isn't it is it, i think sometimes we do almost um we just glorify a lot of the past masters don't we a lot mm -hmm. you know especially for the sake of tradition sometimes when really when you look back they're just they were just trying to figure it out the same way we are <laughs> it's, they just yeah. happen to have to go through a completely different way of doing it yeah so you know that as an aside that's why i wish someone would write a book like um uh you, you know that book robert w smith's uh, chinese boxing and masters it's that red book yeah. it, it's about his experience in the 1950s studying um you know chinese martial arts in taiwan right okay and he talks about the different teachers he studied under but he's he doesn't paint them, gloss them over in any kind of shining way. He shows them warts and all, which is pretty, pretty interesting and very funny at, at times. And so I'm 
kind of hoping someday people will do sort of biographies of all the masters, warts and all, back in the day. That would, yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just it, it would be. That, that, that seems like a good read. Mm -hmm. I'll, so, add, I'll add it to the list. It's a long list, but I'll add it to yes. it. <laughs> add it to the list. Someday maybe there'll be audiobooks of them, I don't know. Although I think the introduction to karate, if you did that in as an audiobook, you'd, you could sell it to insomniacs and just put them to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just have to get someone anyway. with a good voice. Oh, yeah, we can get someone with a good voice. Mark Tankasich has a good voice. Maybe we'll ask Mark. You can do okay. the audiobook. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, so that's how I got started with it. And that's how I just kind of chipped away at it. And yeah. And then um, I added a few things because they talked about um, the uh, study of karate magazine, <clears throat> right? Mm -hmm. So they kept referencing that in the book, and I was like, okay, I have a, I, I have, I don't have a copy of it. So I, I, um, what did I do? Oh, I ended up emailing Mark Tankasich because I knew he had a copy. I said, can you send me the copy of? Uh, of the, just the Mabuni and the Nakasone articles from the magazine, and he did, which is great. And so I translated them and threw them in the back, just as a, an appendix, because they kept talking about them throughout the text. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it does have it does have uh, it's, it's extremely helpful actually your uh, your references, but also you've put in all your terminology in the glossary as well. Very helpful. Yeah, because I when I first started translating it, I just was like. Well, I know what these words mean, and I'm sure everyone else does. But okay, let's just add. No, I've, I've, I've come across I've come across a couple when I'm thinking that would be really helpful to know what that is because I'm not entirely sure I understand it in that context. So it has actually been very helpful. Thank you. And the, the other thing too is right at the beginning of the book in the preface they say there's no standard terminology for karate, so we've invented one. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I, I love that. that. It's brilliant. Yeah. So, okay. so they're probably, most people could understand what they're saying, but just on the odd chance, maybe they have some maybe slightly different definition. I just kind of threw, threw it in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, um, there's a couple of really good bits in here. I was, um, I, I particularly love this little bit, um, a paragraph called karate is the basis of all martial arts. And I read this and I was like, yes, that's getting a big mark with my pencil. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> it says, it is a martial art that should form the basis of any others. Therefore, if you practice karate as a martial art and learn another martial art, you'll naturally make something that is strong, even stronger. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but again, they're just trying to like, like uh, brilliant. mainland, right? So they're just trying to justify karate and kind of promote it right mm. yeah but it, it's something that you know we've we've done and we do you know just kind of adding other things in to you know mm -hmm. to help you know it's, it's like we've we've often found that if people have um some judo or some boxing it's it's of benefit it's not better yeah. or worse it's just of benefit to your training it adds to it and also well, yeah, stuff like that as well that flies in the face of a lot of the I don't want to say traditional, but the more modern traditional way of being like, you mustn't train other styles. You you do this and yeah, you do it until you die. It's just, so actually, Mabuni said nearly 100 years ago, it's fine. So it's all right. 
Yeah, they're kind of just saying, well, part of it is they're kind of, they make the argument that Kem, they go back and say Kempo. Kempo is the basis of all martial arts, right? And so when they say Kempo, they just mean fighting with the fists. Yeah. Like generically, sort of just like boxing, right? Hitting, hitting with your fists. So, and then since karate is derived from Kempo, right? They said, therefore, it's like the oldest and most traditional of arts passed down and it sure should serve the basis of you know all other martial arts so that's mm -hmm. kind of the gist of what they're getting at right? yeah that's really yeah. interesting it is interesting yeah yeah so some people a lot of people think that kempo is kind of an art in and of itself but when you hear like you know in the titles of all these books you hear like karate kempo right yeah. so well, that doesn't make any sense empty hand like you're just talking about the art of karate within the context of like percussion, kempo, mm -hmm. hitting things. Okay. Oh, the same, makes... I, guess, I guess it's kind of a similar, the way we would say boxing. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Okay. So it's the same Chinese characters as, you know, the, as the Chinese martial arts use, shuangpa, right? Yeah. So that's, this, it's just a generic term. So, but that's why they're linking it to like, you know, it's the basis of all martial arts, mm -hmm. like karate, you know, derives from hitting, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, they go a long way in that book to kind of justify the existence of karate as a martial art and it's just as noble and the Okinawan people are Japanese and et cetera, et cetera. So you got to admire their tenacity in, in taking on that topic. Oh, uh, definitely. Technically the book, so the book itself, the title kind of explains everything. It's like an introduction to karate do, right? Mm. This is their way of sort of disseminating karate throughout Japan for people who didn't have access to a dojo. So that's why it's written in that way as, you know, kind of the basics and here's some kata you can study and here's some, you know, individual drills you can do. Um, then in the back it says, yo, this is what a kumite match looks like, right? Et cetera. And so they try and verbally describe it. Um, because there's no YouTube, right? This is a uh, hundred, almost a hundred years ago. So there's yeah. no YouTube, no television, no DVDs. God forbid, dating myself. There's no VHS tapes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't beat a VHS. Not even an eight track of a guy explaining what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So, so that was their attempt at it, right? Mm. So they're really trying hard. And um, and it's sort of like Mabuni's first outing as a Shito Ryu instructor. Yeah. Founder of the style, because up until that point, he really was kind of in his previous books, kind of pushing the more Goju aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got uh, one of the other ones, the, the free self-defense art of Karate Kempo. Mm hmm. And yeah. So he's, he does two books prior to this where he's kind of focusing mostly on Kojiru Kata, Sanshin, yeah. Sanshin, right? Sanshin, yeah. Yeah, and, and the like, <clears throat> and Seipai. And then he had one other unpublished book on Kurunufa, which never saw the light of day. So, and then he was kind of waffling between calling, him, like naming his style. Like when you look at like his uh, adverts for his old books back in the day, Sometimes he's referred as, you know, Goju-ryu Kempo master, right? And then other times he's refers to it as uh, Panko-ryu, like half hard, right? 
kind of like half of Goju. <laughs> and then other times he, he names it after himself. It's Mabuni Ryu. God forbid someone does that today. <laughs> Can oh, you? We got Weichi Ryu. We got Kojo Ryu. They're still yeah, in exactly. Right? Today that would be. Well, I mean, people do it. I don't have a problem with it, but yeah. Maybe you know he goes, oh no no no. And then so you see in New Mong where he kind of first and kind of like the first time he comes out and says, oh no, I do Shito Ryu. Right. And then I'm going to introduce the orthodox um, teachings of Itosu Anko Sensei in this book. Right. And then he says right from the outset, he goes, you know what, I've decided. So with my students, I teach them the Itosu line first, and then I teach them the Higona or the Goju line next. So that's kind of his declaration to the world in this yeah. book. <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting. He's he's a fascinating character, Mabuni. He really is. He's just like an encyclopedia of kata. When you look back at all the kind of the things that he taught, because I mean, that I don't know how true this is, but apparently, you know, like Nakayama from Shotokan would go off and learn forms from him and bring them back and mess yeah. them up. Well, he had his own interpretation, like all the yes. other ones, right? So that's a very good way of saying that. You know. <laughs> It's not wrong within the context of the style, I guess. You know, you yeah. know we've established yeah. our mechanics and this is how we're going to do them. So if we introduce new forms, this is how we're going to do them, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, definitely that was Mabuni was a really interesting guy. Um, he would be someone I, I would have, I could sit down and have a coffee with. Um, I would. I just think he was just really, really interesting guy, prolific in the kata he tried to kind of capture and preserve, the books he wrote. His experience um, as an educator, teaching at karate clubs on Okinawa, and then working as a policeman too, right? So he has a pretty broad experience, <clears throat> which I'd love to chat about, right? Yeah, for sure. So and it would be, I guess, you know, if you could speak to the guy in person, you would okay. then find out, you'd find out how much of his writings is, is him and how much is... <laughs> You know. yeah. How much is you? How much is Nakasone? And how much is the military? Yeah, yeah. So but that can... also kind of influences, I guess, would influence the kind of drills and stuff they would show in the books. Because yeah, you you hear that a lot of like, you know, what? Why didn't they show more in the books? Or why why show this I, and not that? I don't think it had to do with military censors. I think it was more along just the tradition of like I said, like holding up one end of the tablecloth yeah. and you okay. figure out the other. Yeah. Um, um, but I could be wrong. Um, it's just it's just kind of a guess uh, during that time. Um, yeah. But he's definitely a guy I'd love to sit down and have a chat with. And Nakasone too. I was like, dude, you were you were die-hard communist. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> you got in prison for four years, and then they let you out, and then what changed? What happened? Right? What did he go to prison for? uh for his com for being involved in the communist movement oh okay oh right literally okay yeah fair. literally like he was um publisher and editor of one i can't remember the name of the magazine off the top of my head but he was a publisher and editor of a, of a communist communist magazine he was involved with organizing um the different communist groups and he was um, pretty um pretty well involved and then he just got rounded up right wow that's part of the white terror so they just kind of like scooped them all up 
imprisoned him and then that's the end of you. God knows what happened to him in prison. God knows. So this is like Japan in the 1930s, right? And when, when the society is run by the military. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's, you can use your imagination to kind of think what happened. So, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so, but it'd be fun to talk to Mabuni, like I said, to kind of figure out, you know, what was going on between you and Nakasone and what's going on between you and what you wrote and why did you decide to include this and why did you decide to include that and okay who did you actually cross train with mm. right because uh like we know you studied with Higona. i kind of doubt you learned all the kata i think you probably just learned sanchen and the rest you picked up from miyagi chojin who was your best buddy at the time um uh the aragaki kata i I'm not sure he learned them from Aragaki Seisho because mm -hmm. the way it's written in Japanese in the book, it sounds like he learned the kata of Aragaki Seisho and people just that is that he learned right. from Aragaki Seisho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's unclear in how it's written in Japanese. Mm. So and then, yeah, where did, where did he get some of his kabuto from? Like there's so much, you know, you learn from Go Kenki, okay, you put in Nipai Po, Nepai, okay, was there anything else you picked up in there? Okay, what was he, Go Kenki like as a guy? Could you tell me more about the karate study group in Okinawa? How come it went bankrupt? You know, all these things. Yeah, maybe one day there'll be a way <laughs> we can figure this all out. And yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. Like, well, I don't think we'll ever know, but we we might get little tidbits of information, you know, moving down the road. But long story short, he's a fascinating guy. Mm. Would love to sit down with him. Um, despite my wife's protests that they don't know how to write, I still enjoyed like reading the book and kind of translating it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what? What's your favorite one that you've translated in that case? Probably an introduction to karate do. I really like yeah. what trying to do. Um, you know, he sets out kind of like from the outset what their goals are, what they're actually trying to do, and then they work through it, kind of ignoring the first quarter of the book where they're kind of trying to justify, you know, Okinawa as a place in Japan and the mm -hmm. Okinawa as a part as Japanese. But getting past that, you know, he kind of gives you a really good guide of like, okay. If you're out by yourself and you don't have access to a dojo, here's how you can study karate. And he lays it out pretty good, considering, you know, literally the technology of the time is a book. <laughs> um, I think they do a pretty good job. It was the, uh, the 1930s Zoom training. Yeah, it was their version of 1930s. That's a good way of putting yeah. it. The version yeah. of 1930s Zoom training. Um, and then, like everything, you know, occasionally you get little tidbits of information that you're like, wow, okay, that's so neat. I never thought about that. Mm. Right? Or, um, you know, even explaining just some of the um, techniques, right, um, where he kind of shows you more than you thought. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's quite interesting. So. Yeah. He's definitely one, that, like even in the other book that I was saying, that some of his descriptions of techniques are far better than even what I think some of what Funakoshi would write in his, especially books from the same time. Yeah, so, well, yeah. 
I don't know if they're much better written, but they're they're not necessarily better. To me, they just kind of I don't know how to put it. They kind of just show a bit more. Yeah, they feel a bit more real than the way Funakoshi describes them, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah, possibly. Um, I think they're all for me. I, I think he's sort of around the same level of all the other books that were coming out during that time. Right. Um, you know, even Motobu's book in the 30s, he shows a little more in some. I think they all kind of just show different facets. Right. And it's kind of yeah, up to that's true. kind of like piece them all yeah. together. So yeah. they're always kind of just lifting up little pieces of the tablecloth to kind of you get to see under there that way. And then this guy shows it. Oh, you look under there and you see that it's done this way. And then you can kind of all piece it together. Mm. So you kind of get a little bit of a snapshot what's going on during that time. Yeah. But <clears throat> so what's the what's the next one? Have you have you got a plan for, for another one to I translate? I don't have a plan. I'm not that organized. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of whatever. No, the other book the I, next. trying to I'm kind of revising is Itoman Morinobu's um, The Study of um, Todi or China Hand or Karate, whichever way. That, you want to that is a book that, that Ian Abernathy raves about. It's a pretty peculiar book. Um, yeah. So I'm revising it in the sense that he did a sequel to it in 1942, I'm going to say. Um, and it's the terrible title. The terrible, I'm sorry, the title is terrible. It's like Miscellaneous Thoughts on Martial Arts. It's like, it's just a yawn. It's the most boring title. <clears throat> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish translating that because it's relatively short um, and I'm just going to combine them together. Okay. Into a revised edition. I did track down, he did a series of articles uh, in the UQ, UQ Shinpo, the newspaper on Okinawa mm. in the 1950s and 60s, and I did track them down. Um, unfortunately, though, the copies that I got from the Okinawa Prefectural Library um, are unreadable in sections. So I'd say about 20% of it is unreadable. Um, and I kind of threw up my hands. I just, I can't interpolate the characters. I, I just be guessing what he's saying. So I even farmed it out to a professional translator to try and um, interpolate the characters. And they said, no, can't do it. So unfortunately, I won't be able to include those unless maybe down the road and I find better copies mm. uh, and actually read them. Um, so that's kind of what I'm kind of chipping away at right now. I'm kind of revising that. So. Yeah, until, you know, until we're all out of the pandemic and then I'll just go back and, you know, go back to sleep and delete all my accounts from the internet. <laughs> go into hibernation for another couple of years till yeah. something else happens. Yeah, till COVID. COVID. No, I don't hear COVID. 23 or something. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've been taking away, chipping away at Itaman Morinobu's stuff or Itaman Seijin, whichever way you want to say his name. So really interesting guy. Yeah, I was going to say, he's a very relatively unknown guy, right? Or is that just me being stupid? Um, very, very hard. I'm kind of hoping the next time I get to Okinawa that I can actually do a little bit of research and maybe try and contact the family to know more about him. Um, but as far as I know, he never, he never propagated a style, never taught anybody, um, and just uh, 
published those two books. He published other books, but they're not related to karate. Um, he wrote quite a bit, actually. And um, from what I understand, he was a he was military police in Manchuria. Sorry, in Kwangtung province for a number of years before the war. And then he was also an enlisted um, soldier during the war in Manchuria. So. And then I think he was imprisoned by the Chinese for a couple of years, too. Wow. And then he and then eventually made his way back to Okinawa. So, yeah, he's an interesting guy. I don't know a whole lot about him. And I'm kind of hoping to, um, to kind of research him next time I get to Okinawa. Do you know who his teachers were? Nope, he doesn't say. Doesn't say. That's really interesting. No. I just, my gut feeling is that he did not study formally study karate on okinawa okay i think he might have had a peripheral knowledge of it but his primary knowledge comes when he was in china and he started doing uh, gong fu he kind of started okay. there and then he kind of tied it back to his kind of native you know okinawan art yeah that day he kind of tied the two together but i could be wrong i, I just don't know um, he says nothing about himself in his books nothing not even a snippet it's very hard to piece together um but the books are really really interesting like this book um his first book is quite different to other books during the era right yeah and said it's very martial yeah like like he kind of lifts the whole tablecloth off yeah exactly yeah he shows you everything he talks about vital points throws chokes strangulations etc yeah, so the only bad thing about that book is the quality of the photos is atrocious. It's terrible. Um, really? Yeah, so that's like when I when I put it together and then was kind of looking like when I did my test copies, I was like, wow, this is really not good. And then, but looking back when I looked at the original copy that I have, even the original photos are really grainy and, and badly, badly folded. I'm sorry, badly, uh, badly taken. Mm-hmm. So, which is unfortunate, unless someone has the negatives, but I don't know who that would be. No. So, no. anyway, so that's that's going to be Mr. Moinobu uh, Itaman. We're going to work on his sequel, <laughs> Miscellaneous Thoughts on Martial Arts. Good God. Okay. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds really interesting, though. Um, it is. The first half is about um, kind of a brief history of Japanese martial arts and then kind of tying it in with um, Okinawan karate and the development of karate on the island and then the second half of the book is more about Chinese martial arts mm-hmm. right so and then sort of linking the two a little bit um, and then there's some odd duck chapters which like I said that's I guess that's why it's called miscellaneous thoughts on martial arts because there's an odd duck chap odd very strange chapter on um the corruption of karate by the communists (laughs) really (laughs) it's just a very strange chapter where he just rants against the communists and how they took karate and just corrupted it good lord yeah so and he cites the specific article from Red Flag magazine in the 19... I wonder if Nakasone was part of that. Maybe he was the publisher. I don't know. <laughs> where, he, where he kind of just rants about it, about this article in particular, and he takes quotes from it. 
and then I'm, I'm actually managed to track down the article. <laughs> so I found the article that he was quoting and then I translated that and I'm going to include that. Okay. So that's something I'm working on right now. It's just I'll include that. OK, yeah, cool. So we always ask. We have two questions, Sue, don't we? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, we have we have always have. Well, we, have loads, we always have loads we, of questions. Know, we have but we some... have two questions we always ask everyone. Like a speed round? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, do you want it a speed is. round? We could do that. <laughs> hey, what but a great what, idea. I was oh going to say. We should so do that. We're going to get, we're gonna get, we're, we're gonna get we're you, gonna get, um, Joe, Patrick, Patrick, and Jane um, all together, and we'll do that. Okay. We'll have the, the modern, oh, this is what we can call it. The modern meeting of the masters. No, no, no. I just sit yeah. and take notes. <laughs> Anytime I'm Pat and Joe are in the room, I just sit back and just drink my coffee and go, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. We'll, we'll do that. We'll set that up. Yeah. And and um, I'm, I must just ask before Greg asked that question. Um, you're a, you're a, a extremely well informed on weapons as well, aren't you, Mario? It's, um, oh. we weapons is something you Oh, you're... the Kubudo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I did. I started that in '94 and ever since. So when I moved to Japan, I uh, I started Kabuto with Minowa Sensei. Um, yeah. So he was a student of Tyler Shinken. Oh wow! Oh, that's a good lineage then. Yeah, Very. he was really good. Uh, Minowa Sensei was awesome. Bit of a curmudgeon, love him to death, but he could be grumpy sometimes. <laughs> very very <laughs> stubborn, um, in a nice way. He was kind of a nice stubborn. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, so he was my weapons teacher um, while I lived in Japan. Um, we weapons have become um, quite interesting during um, during lockdown. James has been showing me some um, Teco and some uh, nunchakas, oh, and uh, it's become very very interesting. So maybe uh, maybe another time we could have a a chat about Kabuto. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That yeah, that that would be a very interesting chat. Yeah, it it really would be. It's um it's not something I hear shared as widely, and it'd be it'd be great to jump into that a bit more as well. Yeah, most of the podcasts focus on karate, although you know Kabuto definitely in the last ten fifteen years has really exploded in in popularity, mm. really exploded, which is great because it's nice to see it getting some attention finally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's it's interesting sort of going through the differences in techniques and coming from Shotokan with its big stances and it's, you know, it's depth and it's very rigid. Um, mm -hmm. Shotokan is like wide stances over mm -hmm. into, sorry, go on. Oh, no, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go right ahead. No, no, it's um, it, the, the change from that coming up to um, the stances that James has been showing me in, in Teco is much shorter oh. and um, sort of letting the weapon do all the, dis do the work of the distance kind of thing. Yeah, um, but I would say, at least with the Tyra lineage Kabuto, that Shotokan students have a, a pretty good advantage over, say, like a Goju student. Um, and the reason, I say, the reason I say that is because Tyra's background and the way he sort of organized the mechanics, organized the kata and then developed the mechanics of them are somewhat similar to Shotokan. And that's not surprising because his teachers were Funakoshi Gishin and Mabuni Kenwa. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 
at least what I found when I'm when I came back to Canada, um, I live in Vancouver now, is when I first started teaching Kabuto, um, the Shotokan students picked it up really fast, really really fast, uh, versus say like a Goju student, they had a little bit. They struggled a little bit in comparison. Of course, you know, there's variation case by case, but I'm just saying yeah. you know, my impression as a whole, the Goju student took a little bit longer than yeah. the Shotokan student. Shotokan student had a much easier time. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. Um, yeah. Tyra taught, you know, for years, he, what he, he referred to as karate as Funakoshi Kenpo. Right. Really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, Tyra Shinken used to, his primary teacher was, Mabuni more kind of taught him the weapons, although he did, like Mabuni's in, Mabuni and Tyra are in this book, right? Right, so that, you know, when you look at, um, where is it? Like in the front, right? When they're demoing techniques and stuff, that's Tarashinkan. Mm. Right. So, but Funakoshi was primarily his karate instructor and Mabuni kind of secondary and more on the lines of weapons. So, yeah. So, it's not surprising that, you know, the karate that Tyra passed down is heavily influenced by Funakoshi. He did not call it Shotokan. Um, like I said, he called it Funakoshi Kempo. But when you see it, when you see it demonstrated, it looks like um, what. Uh, Funakoshi was showing in his his early books in the 1920s, mm. right? Kind of pre-war Shotokan. Yeah. So that's, that's why I kind of think uh, Shotokan as a whole has a little bit of an easier time with Tyra Lineage Kabuto. So. Interesting. Yeah. So it's good. You can learn Maizato no Tikko, right? And that's that's from Tyra or whichever Tikko kara you're, you're doing. Yes, um, I, I, I don't know, just the first one I do. It's probably my Zato no Tiko, right? So that's tired. That's the, that's the kind of maybe, maybe James just made one up and he's just no, right. it's I, if it's from James and, and James and I are from the same lineage, so yeah, it's Tyra, it's definitely Tyra lineage. So absolutely. it's my Zato no Tiko, right? So which is um, his birth mother's maiden name, right? So, right. Yeah, so it's cool. Yeah, Kabuto is fun. I could ramble for Kabuto too if you want to talk. Oh, about. perfect, perfect. It just um, clear a space in your calendar, so we'll come come back to you on that one definitely. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so um, yeah, and then uh, I'll uh, I'll dig up some stuff for you guys to read. You can read it on the side. Um, oh, awesome. I think you'll Lovely. like. <clears throat> so, okay. So two questions. All right, we'll, we'll make it. We'll make it three because we talked about Kobido as well. So normally we ask favorite kata, but for you we'll go favorite karate kata and favorite Kobudo kata. Uh, favorite karate kata. Definitely not anything in Goju. I don't like anything in Goju. <laughs> I have to think about it for a second. Mm, I don't do it well, but I do like the Toan version of um, Sanseiru. Okay. Yeah, the Toan version of Sansei. It's a work in progress, but you know, been at it for a while, so I really like that. Uh, for Kabuto, my favorite Kabuto kata is 
probably hmm, Chatanyaranokon. Okay. Yeah. Another one I don't do very well, but I really enjoy doing it. So, um, and it was also my teacher's favorite form. He loved Chatanyaranokon. So, kind of nice to kind of follow that way. Nice. Okay. And then the, the other question is favorite martial arts movie? And it can be as, oh. as cheesy or old or what, oh. however you like. Kung Fu Hustle. <laughs> Kung Fu Hustle, really? I love Kung okay. Fu Hustle. Okay. That movie is brilliant with all its like um, cultural and movie references and its slapstick comedy and it's it's so good. I, I never I can I never get tired of watching it. Literally before we started this call, I was on YouTube and one of the recommended videos was a video called Every Hidden Easter Egg and Reference in Kung Fu Hustle. Oh, so it. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back and watch that. It's so good. And even if you're not like, if you, even if you don't like martial arts movies or kung fu movies, it, you can still watch it. It's just so funny and so well done. Yeah. I've, I've not heard of it, so I'll be looking that one up. Looking yeah, that it, one up, we're going to find um, it. Also, and then his other one, Shaolin Soccer, is really good too. Shaolin Soccer. Go about Shaolin Soccer. Shaolin Soccer. No, I yeah. that either. Yeah. That's, that's one to look up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll look. I'll look those. I'll look those up. Yeah. I'll look those up. Thank you for the tips. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um. Cool. I, I was actually we we had thought about asking another question. So I let's see if we can just sneak this one in on the end. We were sort of wondering about what you might think is the is um like the most important focus for karate at the moment. Ooh. You mean for me personally, or just as a community? No, just, just um, you know, many of the guests have said, you know, there's, there's patterns in karate, there's changes in karate, these things go around, come around. And, um, you know, that there's, mm. I think karate seems to be shifting and changing quite a lot. So I just wondered if, if you have an opinion on what's important mm. at the moment in karate. Uh, okay. Might not be a popular thing to say, but I'm kind of inclined to think how you, one of your previous guests, Mike Clark, kind of sums up karate these days. So I think there's kind of too much, but this is normal, the pendulum swings back and forth, but I think there's yeah. too much on what people are labeling as, too much of a focus on what people are labeling as uh, practical karate. Okay. We're emphasis on the practical aspect, the physical aspect, and I think it's coming to the neglect of the spiritual and the psychological and the mental aspect. Right. That's because this is karate do, right? Mm -hmm. Not karate jutsu. So there's a reason why we practice karate do and not practice karate jutsu. Because the do implies that there's a mental, <clears throat> spiritual, and psychological aspect to your training, right? Because you're walking down like do literally means michi, right? You guys, you know, like road or path mm -hmm. that you're going to walk along. And then when you break down the character more, you, you can see it breaks down to movement on the left and then neck, right? And you break down that character more, it refers to self. So that's you, yourself, moving down that path of self-development and introspection. So I don't, I, I think definitely you have to have the martial aspect and the, the um, application of technique, because then it's not really Budo, right? Mm. And then you also 
neglect, you won't be able to kind of truly get the psychological aspect. But you need to also focus on the other side of the coin, so to speak. And what I find kind of recently, um, especially in North America, um, I don't know about the UK, is just a little bit too much of an overemphasis on um, quote practical. I think that's a really a really good point actually and I'm guilty of this as as much as everyone else is is focusing on the practical but yeah that's a really good point because I think we've gone I think I, I said I don't know if I said this to you Sue or if I said it to Joe that we've gone almost the complete opposite direction whereas before it was too much maybe too much focus on the dough way and not enough on on the practical application and now it's swung the complete other way and there's too much focus you know, it's, it's there's there's so much kind of. Uh, well, I can understand the times. You know, you went through decades and decades of like not really getting the practical, and you got more yeah. kind of emphasis on like more sort of like to be honest, like a PE physical education kind of point of view. Yeah. You know, developing whatnot, students. Um, but I think eventually there will be an equilibrium, and it'll kind of swing back. It just. Mm -hmm. but, uh, the way I kind of like look at things now and what kind of I see is, yeah, a little bit too much of an emphasis on quotes, you know, realistic bunkai and practical this and, you know, fighting karate. And I don't even know what those words mean. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 an, it's an annoying thing with karate that a lot of martial arts, well, most of the martial arts don't have, isn't it? is like you said we went through such a long period where you didn't have that stuff mm -hmm. that it's kind of got to a point now where there's too much of it almost mm -hmm. um that. and I, to be honest i think the time for kind of coming up with with bunkai should be kind of coming to an end now <laughs> i think you should, you should in terms of like how many times do you need to go over it before you get one that you go, yeah, okay, I like that. I'll teach that, and that's it done now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. how many times do we need to look at it and change it around and overdo it before it becomes too much? Yeah, um, but yeah, you can only do so much, right? Mm. Do you think it, though that yeah. people are sorry, sorry, no, go on. Right. I was going to say, uh, do you do you think people are just looking for definitive answers when it comes to bunkai? Yes, you know, because the and thing there isn't we, any. There isn't no. Any. We did um we did a little survey of our of our listeners the other day, and uh, we asked what people are um are looking for um in terms of you know what would they like to hear what would be helpful, and uh, one of the answers was bunkai, and but there's there's an awful lot of of bunkai out there. So it just uh, and when I first started, I tried to when I was taught something, I thought that that was it. That was the application for that move. That was it. Um, so I think that maybe people are looking for something definitive. They are, us. and I could, because yeah. I, I I say that because I've done it. I've looked for it, and eventually you go, it's just not there. It's no. just not. It's not. So what because do you do with it then? That's a pedagogical problem where mm. you're overemphasizing kata, right? Kata is necessary but not sufficient for training if you would in terms of in practical terms right and then I mean, sorry sorry no, no no carry on carry on uh the only thing i was going to say is like um at least initially kata should not really inform 
Kumite. Kumite informs kata. Yeah. Yeah. What you learn in terms of techniques and application should inform what you're going to be doing in kata, right? You so know, one that's thing, why one thing. Wrote out. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say one thing that kind of really sold that idea to me was during COVID, you saw all the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys creating kata. <laughs> and you go, well, yeah, that's what it's for. That's what? like, that's it. But the, I guarantee now that they're kind of yeah, open but again. In a sense, Patrick McCarthy was ahead of his time in a sense. because Way he, ahead of his time. Way ahead of his time saying, look, you know, technique informs the kata. And then from the kata, you know, eventually it'll create this kind of, you know, perpetual circle, this, you know, reinforcing circle of your technique and your forms. But initially it has to be the technique. And Kyan Shotoku wrote this out in the 30s. It, it, the yeah. order of how you're supposed to teach. And the last one is kata. It's kata, yeah. Yeah. I guess okay, this, maybe maybe we'll, we'll finish on this question then. With mm -hmm. that in mind, do you think there's still a place for the traditional kata? I know, I already know probably oh, your absolutely. answer. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and do you think there's a place for new kata as well? Uh... Absolutely, too. Traditions are not stagnant. They're not written in stone. They, yeah. You know, it's 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 something that's passed down from student to student. Now, whether who who decides that, that's an entirely different question. Yeah. But no, it's not wrote, written in stone, right? Um, you know, when we say like goju you toan you wait you right you right that that character, yeah. which we translate as style. You know, it just means nagare. When you read it by itself, it just means like to flow, right? Like a stream flowing down the river, right? You don't drop a rock. The tradition is not a rock and you throw it in the river and it sinks and it goes there. No, it kind of floats and goes down and collects and goes to different people. So you kind of have to think of it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, like in closing, going back to the, the overemphasis on, um, quote, practical karate, um, I kind of I'm I'm hoping and I'm kind of seeing that it's kind of switching the other way. And at least for me, it's maybe it's my age, maybe it's because I live in a you know relatively safe country. It's not really um, an important thing for me. Um, mm. I think Mike Clark alluded to this, like if you wanna if you wanna fight, there's better ways to fight with um, than going to learn karate. Um, my my first teacher, Kinjo Sensei, said, if you want to go to fight, if you want to fight, just go down to the sports store and buy a baseball bat. You don't have to come <laughs> and learn karate, right? And yeah. then all teachers in Japan said, um, you know, three main things for karate. Um, being a good person, having a long and healthy life. And then last one, being able to protect yourself and your family. Yeah, the three things, and it was not definitely not in the top. So I'm really glad you said that because I, I I think if you if you don't mind, I'd like to have you come back and maybe do an episode on that because uh, I think on kind of the 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 problem with too much emphasis on the physical stuff. Oh yeah, because I think I think a lot of people could do with hearing that. Yeah, yeah, and and. I, I, yeah, I think there's probably people who are more eloquent than me, maybe, like I said, Mike Clark, who maybe could explain it better, but I'm just kind of thinking from my own perspective, I'd be happy to come on and chat more about it, but I always remember my teachers 
you know, they like kenko no karado tsukuru to build a healthy body, right? Right. Um, you know, be a good person. And then last one, mio momoru, right? To be able to protect yourself. Mm. And they'd be like, light, practical. What are you talking about? Like, they just anathema to them. They don't kind of get it. Now, yeah. granted, you know, crime in Japan is exceptionally low. Mm. Um, it's a pretty nonviolent culture. So, but still, you can kind of understand where they're coming from. Yeah. But I digress. Sorry. No, not at all. It's a, it's a really good point. No, it's a great point. All and right. something I'm, I'm definitely guilty of. Anyone listening, if you think that I'm not including myself in that, then I definitely <laughs> am. <laughs> We're all guilty of it. If you had to ask me like 20 years ago when I was in my 20s and 30s, sorry, 20 years ago, who am I kidding? 30 years ago when I was in my 20s and 30s, um, I would have been like, well, no sense. I don't want to listen to this. How do I, how do I break the other guy's nose? <laughs> Right? That's more of what I'm kind of interested in. But as you get older, you understand the wisdom of your teachers and what they were trying to say for you. And then, you know, as Patrick McCarthy would say for um, technique, you get a BFO, right? You get a blinding flash of the obvious. You get a kind of insight, not in terms of just the technique, but also kind of like, you know, an, an elder statesman of karate trying to guide you um, into the philosophy and the, and the morality of karate. Like, oh, that's what he meant. Jeez. <laughs> mm. Right? Yeah. I think that's, again, it's, it's why I think, for me at least, I always go back to karate. As much as I like to go off and do other things, I always try and bring it back to karate because there is that longevity to it. Mm-hmm. In terms of once you, you, you can spend a good amount of time with the physical stuff, but there's always the stuff outside of that, which mm-hmm. a lot of the other arts don't tend to have. And that's the kind of beauty of karate, which um, yeah. Mabuni and all those guys are saying, like, hey, you can do this into your whole life. You can kind of yeah. emphasize these things when you're younger. And then when you get older, you can, you know, focus more on this stuff. And it's something you can do your whole life. Yeah. So I'm kind of, you know, so far I'm, I'm pretty happy with my choice of st- sticking with karate. Great. That was really interesting, that point. Yeah. Thank you for that. And it would be really good to expand on that in another episode so we can have gone from, I think the thing is that the pendulum goes from one end to the other, doesn't it? It's like no one's, you know, there's not been all that practicality in Shotokan. Mm -hmm. So of course people want to really go there and really get into it and work it out. But once you've done that, you can almost let the pendulum come back a little bit and say, okay, now we've, we've got that. Now let's. Exactly. So Anyway, like we could just keep going on. But yeah, I'd be happy to come back and uh, I, whoever else you invite on, I just, like I said, I'll just sit back and take notes and drink my we'll, coffee. And we'll, smile. we'll definitely do a, a round table discussion at some point. Well, like, will, I have a, will I have a buzzer and I'll have to buzz in to like... <laughs> we should we should a quiz. A karate, a karate Christmas quiz. That's what we'll do. Oh my God. Okay. And listeners, then send in your questions, and we will. We'll have a we'll have a speed round. Send your questions into us. We'll do a speed round. All right. Yeah. Oh, I do have one question. One more question. Where can I get that shirt? Because oh, that's a shirt. I'll send you one. This is my this is my dojo shirt. Oh wow! Actually, I like it. It's a really I tell nice you what. Design. I tell you what, guys. Show off your various T-shirts, and I will take a um a picture. Of uh, of everyone to share, if I, if I may. Hold on, I'm gonna step off screen and take my jumper uh, off. How do I take a? I'm not gonna 
The best karate podcast, Geechin Funakoshi on conversations on karate. Yeah. He definitely said that. Next snapshot, guys. Show your t-shirts off. Come on. It'll be like Aloha Tuesday or Friday. We'll just be, it'll be Karate Tuesday or Friday, and you wear your karate stuff. All right, show it off a little bit, Mike. There you go. All right. Nice. Done right. my best. Right. We will finally let you Excellent. go. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so oh, much for your you. time. No, I appreciate you guys taking the time, and you know, I just need another pack of crayons and a piece of paper, and I'll work on the next project. So. Great. We'll leave you with that then. Okay. Right. Thank you so much, Mario, for your time. All right. Well, take care, guys. You too. I look forward we'll to we'll, uh, yeah, speak to you soon. Look forward Bye. to it. Have a Bye. good day. Bye. Bye. Thank you.